Morning, everyone. Morning. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see so many of you in your beaming, smiling masks. No, and even some beaming, smiling faces, actually. I've got to say, I do like to see the beaming, smiling faces. Well, look, let's just pray before we come to God's Word, shall we? Well, Father God, thank you that you are a personal God. And thank you that you're a God who speaks to us personally. Father, we ask that you would help us to open our ears and open our minds and open our hearts to hear from you and your word this morning. Lord, we need more of you. And uh, we ask that you'd come by your spirit and be our teacher, even as Brian's dripping on at the front. Would you speak to our hearts by your spirit and through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought we'd start with a little quiz this morning. Great bridges of the world. Okay? So can you, you can all shout out and join in. Come along, show me. First bridge. Uh, it was nice and easy, wasn't it? Okay. Sydney Harbour Bridge. Second bridge. Wonderful Golden Gate Bridge, San Francisco. Third bridge. Oh, a bit more challenging. Thought I saved the hard one. Uh, if, you're very, if you've got very good eyes, you could spot Julie, my wife, riding a bicycle under this bridge. Oh, very good. Yes, it's the Lion's Head Bridge in Vancouver. But what's, well done, that, but what's the greatest bridge? What's the greatest bridge? Yes, well done. <laughs> spot on. He's been to Sunday school. He knows the answer's Jesus. Yeah, the greatest bridge is Jesus. Because Jesus bridges the chasm. You know, there is a chasm between a holy God and sinful man. Isaiah 59, 1 tells us that God's hand isn't shortened, that he can't save us, or his ear dull, that he can't hear us. But your sin, says Isaiah, has made a separation, a chasm between you and your God. But Jesus has wonderfully bridged that chasm. He's the greatest bridge. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And in, uh, let's see, 2 Corinthians 5.19, For God was in Christ, reconciling us to himself. Now you may be in church this morning, or you might be watching online, but you might also be in your heart far from God. I want to really encourage you to know that you can draw close to God through Jesus. You can cross that bridge and be close to God. He is the greatest bridge. We're going to come back to one of those bridges a little bit later on. But today we're learning more from Psalm 23 of what God is like of what his heart is like. And our focus this morning is we're up to verse 5. So Jason's taken us through a week at a time, the first four verses. He's going to be back next week looking at the last verse, verse 6. And I'm really just a stand-in for you. Looking at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. 
Now, those of you familiar with the diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters, will know that sermons are measured by fruit gums. There is a fruit gum index, you know. You got a four fruit gum sermon, you got off lightly. Oops, oh dear, that was an eight fruit gum sermon. Well, this, this sermon is measured by not fruit gums, but sweet peas, okay? We have six sweet peas that you can track this morning, okay, so you know how we're getting along. And then later today, you can ask whoever you came to church with today, how many of the six sweet peas can you remember? Okay, so, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Are we still talking about sheep and a shepherd? Is this a sheep that's coming to a table and being anointed? Hmm, that would be a little bit odd. No, there's a shift of metaphor from shepherd to host, from sheep to a personal friend who would you'd share a meal with. In verse 5, the Lord is presented as a loving, personal, generous host, from sheep to a personal friend that you'd share a meal with. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. What do we see here? What do we got here? What is revealed to us here about the character and the heart of God. Well, firstly, he prepares. The Lord, our God, is a great preparer. That's your first P. Okay, just you want to stay on track. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jeremiah 29.11 Very well known verse. I know the plans that I have. Plans that I prepared for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. In Ephesians 2.10, we read, For we, that's you, are his workmanship. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you might walk in them. Our God is a great preparer. He's ahead of us. He's always ahead of us. Whatever you're going through, he's there ahead of you. He's been there already. Whatever challenge, whatever temptation, whatever test you may be battling with, he's been there. He knows what it's like. He's faced it. We read in Hebrews 2.18, For because he himself has suffered and been tested and tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Again in Hebrews at 4.15, we don't have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He is able to empathize with us in our challenges and trials because he's been there He's ahead of us. 
He understands. He is the great preparer. You know, there are several words in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, translated to us in English as prepare. And the word here, orak, is only used rarely because it refers specifically to something which is carefully, thoughtfully set out. I love it when we have friends for dinner when, because I get to lay the table. And I really enjoy laying the table. I love laying out the cutlery and the plates and the napkins and Sally's laughing because she knows. Um, you know, and, and the candles and queuing up the right music and so on. I love getting it all ready and getting, getting the ambiance, as Julie would say, getting the ambiance right. But can you imagine what it feels like to do all that and be all ready and it's half past seven, quarter to eight, eight o'clock, quarter past eight, where are they? They didn't come. Can you imagine what it would be like to prepare a table beautifully and then the guest, the guest didn't come. Does that happen? Has that ever happened to you? You've prepared a dinner party and people haven't come? It's very rare they don't come. We've done the opposite. Um, some of you will remember Jeff and Jane. <clears throat> um, I had some lovely chats. The first few weeks, Jeff was, Jane were here chatting to Jeff, getting to know him, talk about preach. I think he's a nice guy. We better, Jeff, you, we better have you around for dinner. We get our phones out, put a date in the calendar, three or four weeks hence. Brilliant. Looking forward to Jeff and Jane. Look forward to seeing you then. Great. Well, I was actually in the garden mowing the lawn when the bell rang. <laughs> Julie went to the door. So here's Jeff with a bottle of wine in his hand and... Jane with a bunch of flowers and Julie just standing there looking at them. <laughs> I don't know why she stays with me, really. <laughs> really, really, I don't. Um, but anyway, but can you imagine <clears throat> that, you know, your friend, your host, has made everything ready, all carefully and beautifully laid out just for you. Are you and you don't show. You know, I, I, I have a friend um, many years ago who, it was her practice, um, she got up actually early before her husband, she would come downstairs and go and sit in the back room before she went to the kitchen to prepare breakfast. But she told me one morning she came downstairs and she was just running a few minutes behind and she really wanted to get on with breakfast and she's walking past the living room door and diagonally in the corner is the armchair where she would regularly meet with God. And she just found herself, she stopped for a moment, and it's, she said, it's as if I saw God like a father sitting there, looking at me with his hand out and his finger curled towards me and just saying, come, come and sit on my lap. I'd like you to come and share some time with me. God desires you to come to that table that he's laid out for you to meet with him. He's a great preparer. He's got it all ready. Where does the Lord prepare this table? Is it maybe up in the sky, in the clouds? Where's the table? It tells us in the psalm. He lays the table before me. It's right there. You see, he's a personal God. This table that the Lord prepared for David. It was specifically for David. We serve and know a personal God. 
Psalm 139, we were talking about just a few weeks ago. You've searched me and you know me. 1 Peter 5, 17. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Matthew 10, 29. Jesus tells us, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. I can imagine Jesus with a wink saying, you're worth more than a few sparrows. He values you. It's a personal thing. He's a personal God. And he brings you up to his table. He raises you up to meet, to fellowship with him. God has the power and the desire to raise you up. In Psalm 3, verse 3, we have, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, the, my glory and the lifter of my head. You know, sometimes we need our chins lifting off our chests. The Lord is a great lifter, and he lifts us into his presence. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. You see, like a shield, he protects he protects us. He protects you where? In the presence of your enemies. In the sight of your human adversaries and your spiritual enemies. Those voices of doubt within. You know, during the construction of that Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, they had an enemy. The enemy was gravity. And in the early stages of construction, there were no safety devices. And 23 men were taken by gravity to their deaths. Later, a large net was used. And at least 10 men fell into it. And they were kept safe from certain death. Interestingly, after the net was installed, Productivity went up 25%. Why? Well, because with the protection of the net and the assurance of their safety, the men felt free to serve the project wholeheartedly. Do you know that you have the assurance of God's protection? His eye is on you. In Deuteronomy 33, 27, quite a famous verse. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath you are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemy before you. If we know that we have the assurance of God's protection, it has a profound effect on how we can be bold and effective as we step out to serve him. When you choose to walk with God, to walk in his presence, to follow him, he lays out a table in the sight of those who would drag you down. He tends to you, he nurtures you, and he can lift you up, however bad you feel. He can cause you to find favor 
in the eyes of those around you. Do you remember Joseph back in Genesis? How he found, the Lord ensured that Joseph found favor throughout his life. Not with his brothers, but with Potiphar and with the, with the, the jailer, you know. And then ultimately in the Pharaoh's palace, it was the Lord who worked to find, for Joseph to find favor. The Lord can do that for you. He can lift you up and supply you with all that you need. He is a great provider. This is not an empty table. It's a table that's prepared with all that you need. He's a great provider. I love that verse in 2 Corinthians 8, Lord, get me right, 9 verse 8. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough of everything and provide in abundance for every good work. God is a great provider. He's not a mean God. He's a generous God. He's a great provider. The Lord protects and provides for us. Where? In the presence of our enemies. This table is laid out for us, not up in the sky, surrounded by clouds. It's in the middle of a battlefield. We're in a battle. We're all in a battle. There's a war going on, and it's a war between your flesh and the spirit, between your old selfish nature and your new Christ-like nature. It's a war for our attention, for our loyalty, for our time, for our obedience. God is saying, look to me. Look to me and my word and I will provision you amply, generously for all the battles that you face. He says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Isaiah 41.10, if you're making notes. All of this in the presence of our enemies. Why in the presence of our enemies? Well, his supply, his provision, his refreshing is not reserved only for when our race is run when the battle's over, his promise of life is not only of eternal security in the next reality, his promise of life is life now, today. I have come, Jesus says, to, that you, my followers, my disciples, may have life and have it in abundance. If you like, in spades. Life abounding in fullness of joy, strength of spirit and soul and body. Do you know, I thank God every morning he renews my youth like the eagles. The very opposite of feelings of lack, emptiness and dissatisfaction. But remember, Jesus didn't promise us better life circumstances. He promised us a better life. A life free of trials and challenges? No. He promised us a better life. A life in which he would be with us 
and would live in us and through us if we allowed him to. To provision us, to strengthen us, to share his life with us in the face and the presence of our enemies. Now we might imagine that the best place to receive from the Lord is in the quiet and the stillness. But the dynamic of the Jesus-led life is that he stands ready to come through, to come through in us and through us and for us in the battles and the conflicts and the challenges we face in the presence of our enemies, in the face of our struggles. You know, think about any electrical device, you know, like a big power drill or something like that. I've done the whole thing at the front with the big power drill before. It scared Jason Richard. I don't know why, but he didn't, he didn't like it. But think about any big, you know, like a big power, electric power drill. When it's doing nothing, how much power is flowing? Well, nothing, none. It's when it's under load that power flows. It's when we're under load that power flows from him to us and through us. That's when his supply, his provision, his table is set out for us. So we've seen how you're doing with keeping up with the peas. He prepares, he provides, he protects, he's personal. And that's just half the verse. Got to do the other half yet. And he anoints. Oh, he pours. He pours oil over my head. You know, in the East, people frequently anoint their guests with fragrant perfume and give them a cup of some choice wine, which the host is careful to fill till it runs over. Why do they do that? Well, firstly, the fragrant oil is designed to show love, welcome, and respect from the host to the guest. And the second is to say that as a guest, you shall have an abundance of everything. Anointing carries with it the sense of being set apart. And set apart for particular service, like when Samuel having identified young David as the coming king of Israel, he anointed him. And even today, the most sacred part of the coronation service, if you, they still sometimes show, don't they, the queen's coronation in, in black and white, but the bit you don't see, it's like it's inside a, a tent, a tabernacle, because it's so, so sacred. It's the anointing of the monarch setting them apart for service under God. And if you are following Jesus, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God, a son or daughter of the king, a prince or a princess of heaven. And has God placed on you an anointing, an anointing for particular service, is he setting you apart for particular service? 
Now, don't think for a moment that's something beyond you, that you wouldn't have the ability for some particular service. Not me, no. Don't discount it. Whether you're young or old or somewhere in between, extrovert or introvert, or somewhere in between, the Lord may have a fresh calling for you, setting you apart for particular service. And you might be thinking, no, Bri, that's not me. <laughs> I'm not able. I'm not qualified. Well, David was just a shepherd boy. He seemed unqualified. His brother certainly thought so. But God, our God, doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. Is God calling you? Ready to anoint you to particular service? Is your heart rate picking up? Yeah? Then listen to your heart. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Here in verse 5, we have the generous anointing by the generous host of an honoured guest. And what effect will that have on the guest? And just remember, who's the guest? The guest is you. What effect will this have on the guest? Well... Instead of giving off the usual B.O., which of course was normal, the guest will smell beautiful. We take it for granted now in the 21st century with all our soaps and deodorants and shampoos and things not to smell, not to be frankly smelly. We are privileged to have ample water and soap, etc. So back in the day, Really, for millennia, until probably the last 40 or 50 years, fragrant oil was applied to mask the smell and give off a pleasant fragrance. And those who stay close to Jesus, those who walk with him, can carry with them and give off something like the fragrance of Jesus by their manner by their generous spirit, by their loving attitude. Do you remember a song we used to sing? May the fragrance of Jesus fill this place. I'm reminded of a guest who came on Alpha when I was at my previous church. His wife had come to faith and was just wonderfully changed. Um, this man was called Rick. He was, he's, I'm a builder. Actually, he was a property developer. He was a very able man, a very confident fellow. And so his wife got him to come on Alpha. And uh, so he did the Alpha course. He was very regular, came all 10 times, and so on. And uh, that was that. And then he went away again. No impression, it would seem. But I really got a burden for this child. Prayed and prayed. I even fasted, actually, for Rick to come to faith. But it nothing was going on. So when the next Alpha course came up, I thought, how can I get Rick to come on the Alpha course again? So I got ever so brave, and I rang him up. And I said, Rick, I, I'm just wondering, we've got another Alpha course coming. I just wondered if you'd help us. Oh, 
Well, all right, I don't mind helping the church. Yeah, I don't mind helping. So only Rick came on out, of course, the second time. He was in my group. But in spite of that, nothing happening. Nothing going on. <laughs> Sorry. And then we had the weekend away. Went down near Winchester. And uh, uh, weekend away. And on the Sunday morning, we'd had a lovely time. We'd had a time of teaching, time of worship. We're going to have communion. And I, after the worship, we're going to have communion. And I explain, I say, now, can I just be clear that this bread and the wine is for people who know that Jesus died for you. And we've got some very lovely guests with us here. And, and if that's not you, we're just going to ask if you just pass on the bread, pass on the wine, and, and we just want you to be blessed by being here. I just said it like that. Anyway, I couldn't help noticing that as we pass the bread, through the corner of my eye, even though he was sort of behind two or three other rows, I saw that Rick took the bread. And I thought, that's really weird. Because, you know, last week at Alpha, there's no question about it. He's, you know, I'm here, you know, but that's that. He took the bread. That's really strange. And then the cup went by, and, I, and, and, I, and Rick drank from the cup. And I thought, well, that's really odd. And then we got on with the rest of the worship and the service and so on. And, and, straight, and I thought, that was really odd. Straight after the meeting finished, he, he just went outside very quickly. And in fact, he went to use the phone in his car. I didn't know that at the time, but that's where he went. But a bit later on, I was able to say to him, Rick, can I... Because the thing was, he's not a man, he's not a man pleaser. He's not going to do something just to fit in. That was very obvious. And I said, Rick, I know what I'm asking, but I couldn't help notice you took the... In the communion earlier today, you took the bread and the wine. I said, well, what's going on? He said, oh, and, he, and he laughed. He said, yeah. He said, well, he said, during that time of worship, he said, I, just, I was just standing there, like in the back row with my eyes closed. And he said, there was this amazing smell. There was this beautiful fragrance. I'd never smelled anything like it. And um, he said, so I got out my eyes to see what it was. And he said, it was Jesus. He was standing there. And he, I said, yeah. And he said, what more do you want, Rick? <laughs> and it was just a beautiful fragrance. And the followers of Jesus, those who walk with him, can carry the fragrance of Jesus in their character, in their life, in the generous spirit and a loving attitude. So, last P. Finally, my cup runneth over. He, I had to start to think about this one, he precipitates. <laughs> this speaks of abundance. The Lord doesn't just love you. He has abundant, overflowing love for you. His measure isn't mean. It's pushed down, shake it together and running over. If you trust and obey him, you will see God's provision and God's divine working in you, through you and around you. Why does the Lord make your cup run over? Could it be so that others around you might come into that overflow. I'm happy to say that once again this autumn, we will be running an in-person Alpha course. Yay! On Wednesday evening, starting at the end of the month, on the 29th. Perhaps you'd just join me 
In, in my daily prayers, I'm praying that God would move to draw those who need to know Jesus to come on Alpha. Men and women, especially men, to come on Alpha and come and meet Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to join me, if you would, in your daily prayers. Lord, move sovereignly, would you, to draw those who don't yet know the love of God, don't yet know the security of knowing Jesus in their lives to come and join us on Alpha. Jesus said, I'm come that you may have life and have it in abundance, have it overflowing. Now this flow of life doesn't flow out of comfort. It doesn't flow out of complacency or having a few pounds worth of Jesus so you know you're basically all right with God. Jesus calls us to follow him, to imitate him, to do the kinds of things that he did. Do you remember what he did? Do you remember the foot washing? Do you remember that Jesus started a movement, a revolution? And the watchwords of that revolution are not liberté, eternité and fraternité, but love, humility and service. He calls us to live in that overflow. He calls us to love for others, even for those who we dislike or who are against us. He calls us to love in practical, costly ways, not just in sentiment. He calls us to humility, no self-promotion, no continually drawing the focus back to me and he calls us to service out of a heart that says how can I help what can I do here I am use me that's how we find life in all its fullness life in abundance life at the best laid out table with the best cup filled with the best wine full to the brim and overflowing. Those are the watchwords. Love, humility and service. God is good.